Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps, a podcast for you, the players, supporters and the hard-working volunteers that make a glorious game from the lowest to the highest levels in the UK and beyond. We at Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps have now teamed up with Derbyshire County Cricket Club to promote cricket at all levels across the county and wider regions. I'm Rick, I'm here with Ian, Richard and Neil as we take you on a journey around our home here at Winslow Cricket Club in Burn-on-Trent. On this podcast, we'll keep you updated on all the goings-on here at Winslow Cricket Club, and we will also be answering all your questions and inviting you, the listener, to send in all your stories from around the cricketing world. We will, of course, have a special guest coming with their view from Cow Corner with all their stories, ideals and anecdotes. So, let's get started and bring you up to date with the goings-on at Winslow Cricket Club, the little club with a big personality. Welcome to another episode of Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. On this episode in Cow Corner with Liver and Morse, we have banker, businessman and management consultant John Swanick. Now, John Swanick runs the Cricket Club Development Network and he'll be talking all things club cricket and its affiliation with the ECB, or lack of, as John will go into. Firstly, I'm going to talk about how we're doing within Winsell since the last time we spoke to you. And since the last time we spoke to you, we've got some great news and some great moments that have already happened this season. As we saw our new development third team win their first match of the season with a fantastic 139 not out of 103 balls from Dave George and uh, three wickets for one of our up-and-coming young stars, Harry Taylor. David left Winsor and hasn't played for a number of years and Winsor have very much welcomed him back into the fold and he has got up to an absolute flyer. Uh, following his mammoth 139 not out, he then followed the next week with a 114 off 93 balls, the very next match, along with Rizwan, 
um, hitting a 73 from 56 balls, putting on a score of 280, ending in a very tight winning draw with Tutbury managing to survive nine wickets down uh, and Peter Strudwick taking three of those wickets in the Tutbury innings, which now takes them from a win and their winning draw to second in Div 10 South. So great effort, lads, and keep it going. Uh, the seconds are also doing very well. They've won four games at uh, the last four games. Even with the powerful hitting of the Chelliston batters in the last game, Nige West, Lee Gunton and Garrick Dillon put in a good shift with scores of 87, 53 and 54 respectively. A close finish, but came out with the win just with three balls to spare, with Billy Neal coming out and hitting the uh, the four runs needed to win the game. Um, a previous The previous game to that saw against Dunstall, saw Gadders in the runs, hitting 63, and Lee Gunton notching up 48 just too shy of that 50 again. Um, the bowlers also chipping in, making a good start to the season. Rashid Khan taking 5 for 18 against old rivals Melbourne. Uh, Billy taking 4 for 42 against Elverston. Also consistently doing well, Darren Yeomans with both bat and ball has seen Darren sitting comfortably at the top of the Winsel MVP points for the last couple of weeks. Um, so very well done to all in concerned. Four wins from four, sees the seconds second in Div 6 South. Uh, the first team haven't really got off to the fly they'd have hoped for although they are battling hard. Availability, I think, is hurting them a little. They are missing a few key players as well. And with only one win in their first four games, sees them currently ninth in Div 3 South. Runs seem to be hard to come by at the moment, because the bowlers are doing well. The batters not really finding the feet yet. Although a great bowling effort by a club stalwart and old-timer Dunk Wright that moved back into the first team due to shortages, saw him take 5 for 31, rolling back the years he was. <laughs> Another great bowling performance, um, John Duggins took 4 for 25 against Darley Abbey, which limited Darley Abbey to 123. Um, a fantastic 64 from the newcomer Daniel Kahn saw a win for Winsel. Um, so although not the best start for them, um, not the best start for Clarkie and his boys, really looking promising for the games to come. OK, so let's go uh, over to Cow Corner then and hear from Livo and Mars with John Swanick. Welcome back to Cow Corner. We're back on Zoom again today as we chat to an ex-banker, businessman and management consultant who puts a great deal of his spare time, a phenomenal amount of time, into running the Cricket Club Development Network. Welcome to Cow Corner, John Swanick. How am you? Nice to see you, John. Uh, we'll come on to the Cricket Club Development Network shortly. But to, to start us off and kick us off, if you could give us a bit about your background, really, how it all started for you in cricket, earliest memories and uh, how you got involved. Well, as you say, I, I, I come from Staffordshire originally, from Wolverhampton, as I right. tried to allude to a minute ago. Um, I actually watched the Wolves game last night, the first match I've watched in years. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, from Wolverhampton originally, um, started playing nine or ten years old. My nan, just random, no cricket history in the family at all, <laughs> my nan bought me a bat. Um, it was a, a Nichols Hammond autograph. Um, so for the first few years I played cricket down the park with my dad, I was Wally Hammond and he was Harold Larwood. So you were brought, were you brought up in Wolverhampton then, mate? Born and bred, yeah, left there at 18, played for Wolverhampton as my first club. I started playing at school, I mean, days when primary schools played cricket, three matches against other local primary schools, yeah. but I got into it playing mm. as people did then you play down the park with your mates in fact my next door neighbor was we used to play for hours together just the two of us so we had to hit the ball straight yeah. had to hit the ball to make sure it didn't go past the wicket in an open field by the end of the summer we'd worn down a decent pitch 
And, you know, you learn to play straight. Um, you hit the ball and bowl straight um, to ours, just the two of us. And then it, it got evolved into more sophisticated games, you know, with, down with a bunch of mates. And we'd spend hours cricket in the summer and football in the winter. And you get into it and then, you know, I started watching it. So, um, and I mean, I went to my first professional game was uh, at Edge Baston, 1976. Okay. One day international, both in his first match. Um, a year later, I thought I'd go somewhere a bit further afield. So I went to Trent Bridge um, and joined Knotts a year as a junior member a year later, even though it was a 50-mile train journey and two, two changes. Because I loved Trent Bridge and Derek Randall was a bit of a hero, 1974, 75 and all that stuff. And yeah, I got into watching it, but then I, I got too busy playing it. So uh-huh. by 79, I was full-time playing mm. cricket myself, you know, junior so, cricket and adult. So what level did you get to with Wolverhampton, John? I, uh, I, I aspired in my last year there before I went to university to get a regular place in the second team. I got 59 top score against, open the batting against um, Leicester Nomads. And I got dropped next game because all the regulars were back. <laughs> so, uh, it was tough competition. You had to play both days, obviously. Yeah. I um, played all around the place. It was all the old Midland Club Championship days before they went into the Birmingham League. Um, so, you know, it was uh, it was uh, a great grounding, as they say. I played in the under-16. We were under-16 county champions. We actually won it at all of us. Which is where the final day was held. I turned up in a suit for that. And you, uh, you told to turn up in a suit, or you just no? Sort of... I, I think I just chose because I thought I, <laughs> I thought it was the right thing to time. do. But yeah. so yeah, we we won that. So there was you know a few good players in that in that team, like Andy McIlworth, who went on to play for Staffordshire, and then Shropshire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a couple of other guys who uh, who are made you know, into other sports, not necessarily just cricket. I was going to ask that, that if you, he played to that decent level, there must have been some decent players who came out of it into the either the minor or the first-class counties there that, that you played with. Well, probably the most famous person I never played with but went to the same school um, was Vic Solanke. I went to a you know, comprehensive Wolverhampton that was mm-hmm. basically, you know, had got a big, a rich sporting history. So Sam Doble, if you're into, into yeah. rugby. Um, Nick Jevons' brother, Keith, was at the school's good rugby player. Um, Vic Solanke was probably the most famous cricketer. Um, Denise Lewis, Mike, Mike, wow. Athleticsville, Tessa, Tessa Sanderson. So you know, it was a, a pretty pretty sporting school, and it was such a good school they they named it twice. So uh, yeah, it was and it had a reasonable academic record as well. You know, you got people into university as well as you know doing sporting stuff. And uh, I'm guessing it was university that dragged you away from Wolverhampton then to down. Yeah, to- that's uh, that's the Somerset connection to Bath. Um, wasn't I mean, wasn't my top choice. Wasn't even on the radar screen up until quite late in the summer. So that tells you a little bit of the story. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, I, I just fell in love with that place, and and, and obviously yeah. the cricket connection and the the Somerset connection, and the I mean, so hence, the, I mean, Richards was the best batsman I've ever seen. But when you go yeah. and watch after an exam, go in to catch the the, the the end of the morning session on the first day of the county championship game, and, he's, and he scores a hundred before lunch mm-hmm. because somebody on the Gloucestershire side's upset him. That is just, and it was those sort of milestones that sort of are etched into my sort of cricket memory. So there's that, that game, there's the 184 at Old Trafford in 1984 to take the Westerners from losing the game to being unassailable. Um, you know, just those sorts of innings that he just destroyed people. That... Stumps, bumps, and bumps. Did, you, did you play any cricket yourself when he was at university? Uh, I didn't at the university. It was all yeah. too public school for me, frankly. Right. Um, no, I, I was involved in setting up, there's a hint here, 
um, in setting up a pub side. Um, and uh, I also ran the junior cricket for this. Well, I'd say the, my landlord was very keen that I got involved in the local team that had been set up. I was involved in oh, setting wow. it up. It was a pub team. We played in the North Somerset League, and they were a bit sniffy about it because we were a pub team. Um, Bear Flat Cricket Club now plays in Wiltshire County Division 1 and would have been to Western Premier had they got their own ground, uh, a second 11 and a junior session section. All three things of which since uh, are now being rectified, but basically they they went on. I don't know why they ended up in Wiltshire for a club that's based in Somerset, but it, uh, there's a story there, obviously. Um, the chairman, who's still the chairman after 40 years, <laughs> um, is actually a member of the network. So uh, he, uh, you know, but um, that's a great story. And my, my involvement was, was with my landlord as a student, ran the local football team. So he wanted the kids to play cricket in the summer and join in the Bear Flat Cricket Club sort of family. Um, so we, I got a bunch of about 13 or 14 football, 13 and 14 footballers, introduced them to cricket, um, and some raw talent there, but they'd never played before. They'd never really seen the game before. Um, but we had a great start and we played a game, our first game at under 11. I mean, etched on my memory even before subsequent events showed that it should have been anyway. It was against a team in Bristol side called Canesham. Uh, I remember it distinctly because the opening bats for Canesham both got 50s and it was and then retired. It was some time before we took our first wicket at under 11 cricket. Uh, and when the guy, the lad who took it, um, Leroy, Leroy Brown, um, I remember it distinctly. I jumped up in the air uh, to fist pump. I was umpiring <laughs> and scoring at the same time. <laughs> And I think probably not done, but I was just so pleased we got a wicket. <laughs> anyway, it was some years later, I was shown the scorebook um, by that said um, student landlord who said, look, you want to might be interested to take a look at this. And I did. I put in yeah, the, the actual two under 11s for Cainsham. One of them was only nine. It was his first 50 for the club. Um, M. Truskovic. It was in oh, wow. Um, <laughs> in my handwriting. And I thought this is just... Unbelievable. Incredible. No photographs or anything from there. No, I, I asked him about it. I saw him at Canterbury about uh, four or five years ago. He was doing a Sky yeah. um, broadcast. And I said, do you remember your first 50 for Canesham? And he looked at me, gone out. I just saw you. I can't believe that a nine-year-old doesn't remember where they saw yeah. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When did you play your last game then? My last game? Um, well, I was running junior cricket up at Sapers until I decided to, I, for various reasons, I've called it a day at the back end of last season my last game adult cricket was um was the, the last year of covid i basically right. decided I, I got too unfit too fat um um i thought the the actual idea of not having teas was great for me because it you know it extended my career <laughs> by a couple of years um and that's yeah that's the ibuprofen and silk cup i mean yep. that's my that would be my tea because I, I keep wicket i broke my wrist playing cricket um 
falling over or slipping over on a greasy surface at Stratford on Avon back in when it was early 80s. And I, I never, my batting never really recovered from that. Um, you know, I, it was just a small bone in my wrist, a scaphoid mm-hmm. bone, but apparently when they break, they don't, they don't mend. So um, it doesn't affect anything else other than power through the shot and being able to write. Um, other than that, I've, so I've got the, the, the handwriting of a GP um, and the batting skills of a, of a dub. But I, I got better with age as a wicketkeeping. I think it was the ballast actually helps. And uh, <laughs> when the eyesight started to get around 45, it was uh, becoming increasing. It was I stand up to everything. All of that sounds very familiar to me. <laughs> I'm not going to get involved in that one, Rich. Uh, no, um... play, I'm playing Wolverhampton. My first coach was a, as a, was a guy who's, who's well-known in Staffordshire circles, a guy called John Moore, who I think played for Bignall End when he first started, but in Wolverhampton. Okay. Played 120-odd games for, for Staffordshire. Um, was it, he became a head teacher at another local comprehensive school in Wolverhampton, but it, when I first went to school, he was my sports teacher and my first year cricket coach mm. um and he got me into playing at Wolverhampton because he got me to do the scoreboard for him because he's vice ah. captain of the team. And yeah. it was the year after they just won the national knockout so i was paid 55p for a day to uh, to do the scoreboard all day for their their first division games and uh you know and when the days went 55p 15p bought you a half of spring bitter uh, <laughs> Springvale bitter, so I'm trying to yeah. Spring, Springfield yeah. bitter. I'm trying to think Springvale, Springfield, Springvale, Springfield, Springfield bitter. So yeah. I could yeah, so what's that? So it's roughly about six quid a day in today's money, I suppose. Yeah, and it's usually equivalent to three or four pints by the sounds of it. Yeah, but twelve or thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to cricket. Yeah, well, you get away with the half, the club half. It's it, you've had a f- fascinating background there, John, and it, it reflects a lot of the guys that we talk to on the pod. But yeah, let's move on to. You know, the number one reason we wanted to get you on today was to talk about the Cricket Club uh, Development Network that you're not just a part of, but you're the founder, uh, you run it and spend an inordinate amount of time in. So do you want to just introduce listeners who might not know about it? Okay, well, it's basically Cricket Club Development Network. That's what it does, it's what it says on the tin. Um, It's a peer network, so it's club leaders. So primarily it's club chairmen, 60% club chairmen. of clubs who are interested in and focused on club development. Um, I set it up because the ECB, when I had a long series of conversations with them, weren't interested, frankly. Um, I found it odd that, um, you know, there were networks for coaches, networks for umpires, networks for scorers, um, for groundsmen, but there wasn't a network for people who actually run clubs. In my professional life, and I don't like to differentiate between volunteer life and, and professional life, in my professional life, I belong to networks. They're incredibly useful. Join them because there are benefits in joining them. You you get to meet people doing similar things. You get to learn the way different ways that people approach things. You learn how you know, ideas for doing things better. You learn mm-hmm. ways to avoid mistakes that others have already made and all those things in a community of practice yeah um, i thought was a great idea for people who run clubs um because you know there's an awful lot of reinvention of wheels going on people learning the ropes quite often you know in leading leading cricket clubs on on your own um there there isn't you know quite a lot of places around the country there isn't a lot of interaction going on at a sort of club level in in people who are running clubs just thought it was a good idea but the ECB didn't seem to think it was a good idea I, I, I remember driving up to Manchester to talk to the club support team up there um, which is quite a haul from Kent 
six mm -hmm. hours on the motorway. Um, so at three hours in conversation, they turn around and ask me, why would you be interested in this? And I said, well, I've just spent <laughs> 10, 15 years as a so-called volunteer running Staples Creek Club since mm -hmm. I sort of started there in 2001, 2002. You know, I do this stuff because I'm a, because I'm, a, I'm passionate about cricket. I happen to be passionate also about club cricket. And it just seems to me that it's a very obvious thing to do. But if you're not interested, then I'm willing to do it because A, I can. B, I've got a, a list of, of clubs, uh, although club mark clubs primarily. Um, and C, I've got some some IT capabilities. So let's just sort of, I'll just kick it off and see how where we go. And that's really the, the genesis of it. Um, I spoke to quite a few people around the country and clubs who I knew. Um, they seemed to think it was a good idea as so long as I was prepared to do it. <laughs> um and uh, away we went and i just wrote out emailed out to well in initially the club mark club because sure. sort of they were the clubs who were probably more likely to be committed and, and, and passionate about club development i mean that's a sweeping generalization but and then we also had the, the better quality contact data because this um, play cricket really got underway seriously in most parts of the country so we had better quality contact yeah. data chairman and so on so we started off with about 400 members and now we've got sort of close to closing on 1200 which is about a thousand clubs because you know most clubs we've only yeah. got one person representing the club mm -hmm. um, yeah. representing themselves it's, it's a personal thing um they tend to be chairman or 80 percent are either club chairman treasurer secretary or club development lead which is quite often the vice chairman but it might be somebody who's not on the committee at all um so yeah 1200 people is roughly about a thousand clubs so we are about two-thirds of all club mark clubs in the country but of course it's not just club mark clubs it's about 85 90 percent club mark these yeah. days um, but there's quite a few non-club mark clubs as well so having spoken to all those people all over the country chairman and, and the like and seeing how the the networks develop how, how do you see the state of club cricket as we stand today I am an inveterate optimist. Um, I, I, Good is what I, I say. I think we're all in that club discussion. I think I think you have to be because yeah. I mean, and that possibly colours my views because I think most of the people in the I mean, this is the thing. I mean, people think, oh, well, you must be just an ECB bashing group. <laughs> yeah. we, we belong. It's a it's a secret LinkedIn group, and the reason it's a LinkedIn group is because when we tested it, fifty percent of club chairmen were already on LinkedIn in their professional life, so they're only one click away from joining straight away. So that made it easier. Number two is because you could see who everyone is. There's no hiding place on LinkedIn because your CV's there. It's your existence on on LinkedIn. And therefore, you can see what skills and competencies people bring to the party, as well as do they actually genuinely belong to a club or is that the primary reason for them joining? Because if it's, it's joined to sell your wares or you want to join to, to basically slag off the ECB or you know, then, you know, this is not for you. This is largely people who are involved heavily in running clubs who are committed to that because they love the club, they love cricket. Yeah. Um, they're generally very positive about the ECB. Uh, and the county boards they work with quite often very closely. Um, you know, it tends to be the more progressive end of the cricket club market because well, I mean, they're on, first of all, they're on the LinkedIn. So they're, they're you know, they're probably, you know, got a professional background. So they tend to, and, and I always thought they would tend to be younger because they're on social media. That has actually turns out not necessarily to be the case, but it's people who are positive. So we have worked with ECB and county boards 
uh, but particularly ECB and doing all sorts of things, testing club mark and frameworks and IT platforms and all this. You know, and we've got a meeting, series of meetings coming up. Um, the club mark, the new club mark supremo to to help sort of start shaping the the, the club mark yeah. through to, through through this year. So we work with ECB, but we don't allow ECB or county board, if that's their primary involvement, to join the network because I run it as a community. I say I run it. I mean, it's a peer network. So we're, you know, there's no hierarchy. Yeah. It's just me. I facilitate it. But it's a community of practice. So people join and they've got a common focus. And the common focus is they run the club. They're not coming at it because they know, you know I am this, the county board person. I know everything. Or the ECB person. And this is how it is. It's actually a bunch of peers saying, well, we're you know, peer driven. You know, these are the issues I've got. Can you give me a solution to anything from sort of high level strategy through to how do I paint polypropylene slats on site screens black you know and everything and anything in between and you just post a, a, a question or a story or a, you know, a, a message online and get people's views on from their experience from what they know recommendations of products um through to you know links to to resources to be found elsewhere and people willing to you know admit to the mistakes they've made as the successes they've had and that people wouldn't do that if they were thought their regulators and funders were, were listening into the conversation Stumps, ups, and Obviously, you know, you're having a, quite a bit of involvement with them and the, and the county boards. How, how is that going to develop, do you see, in the next uh, in the next few years? Well, I mean, we've had a bit of a hiatus in the last two or three years because all the people we were having a regular contact with were all made redundant um, oh. by the ECB sort of during sort of the COVID period. Um, and so we didn't have really any contact. And in, to be honest, there wasn't and there hasn't been much of a club club support team in place for the last two or three years which is an issue i mean there's big focus on some of the national programs like all-stars cricket and dynamo yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and that's been the real focus and it's all sort of linked in with the hundred stuff and the, the, the regeneration of cricket in sort of you know for young people and in, in, in schools and stuff but there hasn't been much really going on other than a unusually generous sort of funding scheme that came along a couple of years ago for county the county grant scheme. And then this willingness to chuck a thousand pounds to any club that applied for the inspired play scheme yeah. uh, without any real strategic rationale. Um, they had committed, although not yet managed, to spend 30% of net broadcast revenues into grassroots sport. Um, one of the few governing sports, sports governing bodies that hasn't yet quite made that commitment. So um, that's sort of assumed that was good. But actually, it's now become apparent that, that the funding is going to sort of start turning off fairly soon. The cost of living crisis apparently is eating into the fixed contract they have with sky which of course they have famously extended <laughs> in a rush before the new administration came in so cut the funding cuts to both um county boards um is going to become apparent and indeed to the club so i'm told there's no inspire to play thousand pounds this year um you know the county grant scheme will will taper away
So that's going to leave clubs spending far more for themselves at a time when actually I think that the more funding needs to go into clubs in order to support the work in schools and the work in creating um, opportunities for kids who are not in the sorts of schools that play a lot of cricket already. So going back to Richard's original question, John, if we were to compare recreational club cricket in the, the time that we all grew up so let's say the you know, the 70s early 80s versus where we are at today and, and there's been a lot of ups and downs clearly over that period would you say we're in a better or worse place than we were you know 20 30 years ago well i asked that question in the network actually I was really, I, the biggest survey we did was a thousand clubs actually responded to a survey on playing numbers I'm trying to put to bed the fallacy that that this representation, actually, of uh, the sporting statistics. But my view is there are probably as many people playing cricket today as there was 10 years ago, uh, and possibly beyond that, 20 years ago. I'd go with that. It's just that people are playing a lot less regularly. You know, people playing two in three games or one in two games. Yeah. Um, in the days back in the day, you you had to play every Saturday and probably every Sunday just to keep your place in the same. Yeah. So it would sound like a bunch of you know old farts, you know, sort of chewing the cud and sort of you know, as, as it was back in the day. And I swore I would never do this, but it is true. So you've got people playing less. You know, they discovered they quite enjoy shopping with their wives or they want to spend time with their kids and all that new age stuff. But the fact is that that it means that there's. I mean, our first team at Staples, and last year was pretty good. I think we had 22 people playing the team for the first team. And the year we got promoted to the Division 3 of the Kent League, you know, we've had 28, 29, 30 people play in recent years. Yeah. And not just in COVID years, but before that. Um, you know, so we've, you know, need a large squad of people just to turn out the two teams we put out on a Saturday. You know, we've we've struggled in the past to put out a team on Sunday. Now we've got potentially two or three teams we could put out on Sunday. It's just that nobody's ever all around on the same Sunday. Um, yes. So, you know, it's so we can see why clubs are whittling down the number of teams they've got, but there's no evidence that, that clubs are wholesale going out of business and, and, and you know, yeah. there is mass mergers going on. It just isn't true. Really knows how many clubs there are. Um, but if it's around four, five, six thousand, it was probably still four, five, about six thousand clubs yeah. in existence, as there was when when Club Mart started back in two thousand four, two thousand five. But it's just you know. So I think there's a lot of rubbish talked about playing numbers and, and the, the collapse of club cricket and all that stuff. Summer we had a loss of village cricket, and actually when our, when we got people in the network to actually look at their divisions on play cricket and to look at where the games were being conceded and were there any more games being conceded than this year than in previous years and the, the stats seem to show that there was no real issue you know if any period when there was a shakeout in cricket clubs it was probably in the 80s and the 90s mm -hmm. lots of the the come the factory teams disappeared and yeah yeah colliery teams and all that and still making towns with the lost teams and all that sort of stuff and that, that they disappeared for economic reasons and then the whole restructuring of the British industry. And and if and you know the, in Wolverhampton it was good years with a big team. Um, mm. it's a bit good years doesn't exist in Wolverhampton anymore. Chubbs the lot people and so on. They had you know good teams and the people who played for them were almost like semi professionals. I can remember back in my day in Liverpool, we had uh, the Bryant and May Match Factory had their own team. I then moved up to the Bolton League and played against 
British Aerospace had their own team. Mike Watkinson of Lancashire used to play for them every now and again. I'm sure Rich will say, round Burton, we had Pirelli. We had all kinds of... We had all the brewery teams. All the brewery teams, Pirelli. Marston's, Iron Coots, none of them. I mean, they were all very, very high-quality teams um, playing good levels of cricket. None of them exist anymore. I think John's absolutely right. I think, you know, the senior cricket people are still playing, but not as much. But I think it's junior cricket where we've seen the, the increasing numbers particularly with the dynamos and all stars yes yeah. well, well you say that i challenge it i okay. i have yet we had a, a webinar with nat dwyer um about six months before all stars was launched and we put this to him um about baselining the number of kids in clubs already mm. at that point and they said they had no data and i've never heard any baseline figures Right. Or the number of kids. Now, I am, and I did, we did a bit of a survey to try and find out how many kids people have got in clubs at that point. But the network was much smaller. So it's not a very yeah. representative picture. My bet is that the, there is certainly a lot of more young, sort of five, six year olds in clubs than there were. But I, I don't think there are that many more kids playing cricket in clubs now uh, as a result of All Stars. Um, particularly dynamos. I mean, clubs were awash with nine to twelve-year-olds before dynamos came along, so that was not an issue. Now, clubs who didn't have junior programs have found that's the key. Real bonus. That's the key. It's a way of starting because they they've stripped back the complications of running a junior section, mm-hmm. and that's what was required. So we've got a lot more kids now playing in clubs where they didn't they have may not have had the opportunity before. I don't think it's rapid dramatically increased the numbers uh, of the old slightly older ages. There's still an issue with getting kids through to sort of to the, the, the teenage years. Uh, and I used to think that was an issue for, for me in Kent. It was because we've got the grammar school system and kids in a village had to travel miles to their, their secondary school. Uh, and therefore less inclined to do stuff in the evening. So we used to have a problem in keeping kids at the 11, 12, 13. But once we got through that, we got them basically into adult cricket. Yeah. Now I think there's an issue with kids transitioning from sort of the softball play ethos to actually playing serious cricket, particularly those kids who are not at the sorts of schools where they take that sort of real cricket seriously, you know, the sort of public schools and the private schools, which we have a lot around here, yeah. um, where traditionally the local clubs have harvested their kids from. But our kids, who are almost entirely state school, we work with state schools to, to basically get kids in from local primaries and stuff. You know, we, we found it really difficult to get those kids to, to move on from the sort of the softball and the, the, the fun games and stuff into the hardball and and playing some some serious cricket. Over the last couple of years, in particular, John, we've had a, a, a shall we call it an in-between level, where we, we have an incredible leagues. Yeah. Uh, and that started very slowly, but you could just see there's a bit of exponential growth year on year. One of my big bones of contention with cricket, and I'm sure, uh, John, you've, you've picked up on this, is the lack of data, real proper data that's out there to be able to see what's happening. It does make life difficult for when you're trying to put programmes together in the first place, doesn't it? Well, I mean, yes, it does. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, sitting here, 
um, I've got a computer and I've got a telephone and I, I've got some IT skills. So I can do a pretty good job at getting some directional evidence yeah. by sticking out a survey to a thousand people who run clubs yeah. and a few more besides, because I, I've got a partnership now with the Cricketer magazine. So I write the occasional article with the Cricketer on club matters. Uh, and I, you know, I use surveys to get me, myself some evidence, even if it's only really directional. If I'm running the game and I've got those resources and I'm about to invest multi-million pounds into a programme like All Stars, you're not going to tell me they didn't do some research into how many kids are playing cricket in clubs at that stage. And I just think it needs a bit of just a bit of honesty, yeah. a bit of transparency to treat clubs as partners rather mm -hmm. than basically the sort of mushroom management we see. Which is, you know, stick them in the dark. Let's hope we don't want, don't want clubs talking to one another. Um, you know, we don't want causing difficulty. We'll do an, a, a big national um, broadcast. We won't allow anybody to ask questions. It'll just be a series of recorded, you know, sections, uh, presentations from various good and great in the in the team at yeah. Lord. You know, we don't want any trouble. Um, you know, and this is how it is. And there's no real sort of engagement. And say, look, yeah, clubs have done a great job, but they're, you know, they're under-resourced. Uh, we know the difficulties, but the, the, you know, the, the ECB doesn't have an endless pot of money. Yeah. Um, despite the 1.4 billion they're getting from the sky over the next five years, so you know, we accept that, recognise it. We're not going to, you know, we want to work together, and that's been the attitude in the network all along. But let's not treat these people out in the network as idiots. Mm. Um, they're not. I mean, these are professional people, by and large. We know because we've got a thousand of them. They're on LinkedIn. I can see where they where they are. Yeah. I mean, we've got probably we've got probably more FTSE two fifty board of directors in the network membership than on the board of the ECB. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, and, and many other various um, skilled people, lots of different ways. Yeah. So the, the premise of the network was that the, the, the expertise in running clubs is in clubs. It's, you know, not all the skills are in every club. Yeah. Not all the skills are in any particular club. But there is a huge amount of knowledge and expertise in running small businesses, independent small businesses, what clubs are, um, out there. And it just needs better harnessing. And it's sort of, sort of working. I mean, you know, we've just, in March, we launched our members portal, which is this huge resource of collecting all the stuff that people have talked about over the last six or seven years of the network's existence, all the resources that people have signposted, all the sources of information, all the funding opportunities that exist outside cricket, outside sport, all the, the experiences that people ha have had, the sorts of people they've spoken to that have helped to outside of cricket. All those references have all been collated and drawn together into this this huge resource that members can access we will build that over time mm. on the back of all these conversations we have on all the issues that everyone is grappling with day to day in running clubs so i mean all that said john i mean thoughts on the future and key issues that we've got coming up what, what do you think the troubles and the issues are for us in the the short medium and long term Money, 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 money. I, love, <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say. I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've just we've just done a series of, of um, articles on the, 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 the series of two articles, um, 
out of one survey, which was a, a survey of club leaders. Um, you know, who are they? What, what are the characteristics of club leaders? What makes a good club leader? What, you know, what doesn't make, what, what's working, what's not working? Did that survey, one of the two things that are coming out of it, I mean, clearly, the people who are running clubs are a bit fed up, to be honest. And you know, 80% of them say they're going to give up in the next three to five years. 42% wow. say they're going to give up in the next one to two years. Mm. Now, every club chairman I've ever met tells me they're going to pack it in this year. And, you know, 10 years later, they're still doing it. And given that the average length of tenure so far for yeah. those people is already... Well, 50% yeah. have already done over 10 years, which Sport England said they shouldn't because that's a sort of governance yeah. risk. But, you know, it's worrying if they live up to mm. it and say mm. that they, they do. Very true. It's, but I think it's very unlikely that yeah. any of them will because at the end of the day, they're so passionate about their club yeah. and cricket. Yeah, that, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I've, I've been at my club for 32 years now and chairman for the last six, seven, eight years, I think. And it's getting frustrating, to be honest with you. And um, you start to question whether it's all worth it. But then the passion kicks back in again and the summer starts to arrive and you, you get a renewed vigour. So uh, I well, think there that you go. Adds... That's, that's the other thing, the, the big fallacy that, of course, mm. club leaders, they, they pack up and go away in September and they, <laughs> they, they re-emerge in, in April to start again. And the, the ECB has this thing that everything has to happen <laughs> in the summer because nothing will get done in the winter. Um, because no, everyone's on holiday or wherever. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is, you know, we did part of the survey, it showed the number of hours that people are doing in yeah. the winter as well as the summer. And yeah. there's not myself and Ian have had the very same conversation. Absolutely. The only <laughs> difference in the hours in the summer is if the chairman is hands on on the playing side mm. and gets involved in selecting teams and all the, yeah. the, the issues that go with that, then they spend a lot of more time in the summer doing stuff. Yeah. But most are still doing 5, 10, 15, 20 yeah. hours a week in the winter as well. So we don't want to doing club mark accreditation stuff in july um but you you know you've got time to do it in the winter when you're doing most of that sort of background leadership strategy development yeah. work yeah uh, you've got time more time to do it there's so much happening during the winter that actually you know richard will back me on this one i quite like it when april comes around because I then get to focus on coaching juniors, we get to focus on coaching seniors and actually running some cricket rather than just being an administrator. Because that's what we are for five, six months of the year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. There was a quick straw poll we did of members about how they felt. And this is coming up to the start of the season. Um, I think it's February, March. Um, yeah. um, you know, just lack of enthusiasm mm. and, and normally in March, April, you're building up for the new season. You actually, you can sense that that anticipation and enthusiasm. And that just didn't seem to be apparent. And I thought is, you know, and it was a relatively small numbers poll I did just to get an idea of, of, of how people were feeling. And I, I thought, is this the, the sort of the Rafiq affair, the, the, the bashing that cricket's getting and the parliamentary inquiries with the ECB team looking like, rabbits in a headlight is it the ashes debacle um you know what is it and is this going to play through the summer or by the end of the summer how were people feeling differently post basball and all the rest of it and that's why we did this big survey in the autumn to mm. find out whether people were more back to where they you know being more enthusiastic sure. Um, given that normally at the end of the season, people are dog tired and actually that's yes. time to start thinking about anything. They want at least a few weeks 
you know, and that's the thing. I mean, we did a survey, you know, are you going away on holiday in August? Um, you know, actually, most people who run clubs go away at the end of September. Well, if they're not going away at the end of September, they went away before the end of April. So they fit everything in around the season. Um, just simple evidence like that. The fact that people, why do you, why do you do the hours that you do voluntarily to be a club leader? Well, I do it for my club and I do it for cricket. That's yep. the two main drivers. Do I do it for recognition and reward? Absolutely not. That was the, you know, we gave them those options, 10 options about what drives their enthusiasm to run club cricket. And reward and recognition came, well, only didn't come rank bottom because we put kudos and power in there as another yeah, option. Yeah. Um, and so people don't do it for gongs and Oscar awards and, and tickets to pop concerts. Um, they do it because they love their club and they love cricket. Stumps, bumps, and beer bumps. Super over. John, can you tell us your favourite ground, please? Probably Trent Bridge, but also I'll put a word in for Laurie Lee's fabled sloping ground in Sheepscombe in, Shro- in Gloucestershire. Fabulous place. Your favourite batter? Viv Richards, without a doubt. Your favourite bowler? Um, Ian Botham or Man of Staffordshire, Dennis Breakwell. Your favourite tipple? Any Italian super red. Your favourite cricket tea item of choice? Um, I do prefer and silk cup. And our final one, your sported hero, cricket or otherwise? Um, Harold Larwood, unwillingness to compromise. Thanks a lot, John. Super over. Stumps, bumps and beer bumps. Hello, son. How did the game go? It was okay, but I broke my bat. Can I get a new one? You've done what? Broke your bat? Oh, that's just great. How am I going to afford to get a new one now? I just haven't got that kind of money. Why don't you try Village Cricket? Village Village who? Village Cricket. They have a range of bats and they are a fraction of the price of other brands. Very good bats as well. Some from our club have got their bats. Very good quality and very good prices. And they don't just do bats. They do all the equipment you need, all for the same great price. Well, that sounds great. I'll have to have a look. Sounds just what I need. Thanks. The Village Cricket Company stock a wide range of cricket equipment for every age group, all without the usual high price tag. Visit them now on www.villagecricket.co and on checkout use promotion Stumps10 for a further 10% discount. The 10% discount only applies to the product purchase and not the shipping charge, which is a standard £5 per order. Villagecricket.co aim to dispatch all orders within 24 hours, so you should receive your order within two to three working days. For more information, visit www.villagecricket.co. This promotion expires 30th of September 2023. Visit villagecricket.co for all your cricketing needs. Villagecricket.co Let's get out there and support Chance to Shine. Let's get some resources going to schools. Let's get some extra coaches. Let's get some women coaches, you know, to get girls cricket really going. All these things that club people know is needed, um, but just don't feel they have a say in making decisions on those resources or in any sensible adult conversation, the way things are or have been for the last two or three years. So, John, if people want to join the Cricket Club Development Network, how do they do it? There's a website, www.clubdevelopment.org. Uh, across the top, it says there's a bar that says one of the things says join. Three simple things. If you're not on LinkedIn, 
then register on LinkedIn takes two minutes. If you are on LinkedIn, you can't find us because um, we're a private um, closed group. So it's not actually registered on LinkedIn's directory. But you can find me because there's only other one John Swanick on LinkedIn. <laughs> and that's a, 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 an ex-BT photographer from Shrewsbury. I'm reliably informed he's no longer with us. Uh-huh. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn and connect to me and I'll add you to the group. Otherwise, follow the instructions on the on the website. So www.clubdevelopment.org and the join page. We're going to come to our final question, uh, which we ask everyone. And you know, I'm sure you've done a little bit of prep on this. Uh, um, if you had to put your perfect six aside team together, John, we want to know who your six players would be. And as always, it's two batters, two bowlers, one all-rounder, one wicketkeeper. And as always, for you, it can be for absolutely anyone from your own cricketing world. Let's start with your two batters. Who are they going to be? Okay. Um, so I did it as, I, as I'm never going to get on um, Desert Island Discs. So I did it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I just picked out who would I want to be on the Desert Island with. Um, so my batters, um, Dennis Thatcher, number one. Um, <laughs> was very, very clubbable, very sociable, as we all know from the um, from the spitting image sort of idea. Yeah. But, you know, he'd bring his missus along, wouldn't he? Uh, and what would be, you know, who could be a better umpire than Dennis Thatcher's missus? <laughs> and, and she'd do the tease. And, you know, damn well, she'd write up the book as well at the end of the game. Three things all done in one go. So that was that was number one. Um, I thought actually get Desmond Tutu to be the other umpire. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? You didn't ask me about that. But I, I think, you know, him singing and dancing at Square Leg would be fantastic. And it would spark off Margaret Thatcher, absolutely. And uh, my other batter, actually, is a guy called Duncan Lampett, who was my old schoolmate and partner, um, was an opening partner. Um, he went on to skip a Wolverhampton for quite a few years, and they won the national, so he got to the final of the national knockout. I can't remember whether he was skipper the year they won it. Okay, your two bowlers. Two bowlers. Well, Dennis Breakwell um, was, was a contention, mm-hmm. um, but he's going to be my all-rounder. Um, because I think he would be a good laugh, and he was always underrated as a batsman, and he comes from Briley Hill. So um, even though his, his career obviously was with Somerset. Um, but my bowlers, SF Barnes. I mean, let's just see whether he was actually as good as, as the stats suggest. 189 <laughs> test wickets, 27 yeah. tests at an average of 16. Um, and the other was Eric Hollis. Um, because I used to sit at the bar. In fact, I used to run the bar. Uh, in fact, I had my 18th birthday party um, running the bar. Um, which came a bit of a surprise at Wolverhampton because I'd been running the bar for a year when I had my 18th <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, we used to sit there for hours listening to stories with the old players talking. There was a few good old characters, and one of the people I kept hearing about all the time was Eric Hollis. Sounded like a real character. Yeah, so I like him, my team. You've got Dennis Breakwell as your all-rounder. Absolutely. And your wicketkeeper. Um, I thought, well, there's my old Wolverhampton mentor, who again I think had a, a North Staffordshire sort of start to life there's a guy called john constable who's probably the best club wicketkeeper i've ever seen um very bob taylor like um except that he couldn't bat at all so obviously not much use but as a keeper beyond comparison um the other one actually i think is is something that people should know more about and he was wicketkeeper for the hollywood cricket club for years a guy called boris karloff who ah. was the, the 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 Frankenstein monster, yes, um, amongst other things. Movies. Yeah, yeah, we know. Um, his <laughs> private trust fund is still funding cricket. Cricket, clubs. yes, uh, I found that out last year um, myself. Uh, and he was a wicketkeeper. 
Okay. You know, okay. Having Frankenstein as a wicketkeeper just appeals to me. <laughs> that's brilliant, that job. That's, that's, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's one of the most interesting teams we've seen, to be fair. Yeah, I think you've set a new standard. So Definitely. we've got Dennis Thatcher, Duncan Lampett, your all-rounder Dennis Breakwell, SF Barnes, Eric Hollis and Boris Garloff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how they'd be in the field, to be honest with you, but... Uh, if Barnes is as good as his stats, you won't need the fielders. No. Oh, exactly. And, and and the thing about Duncan Lampett, he and I opened the batting and the, the Wolverhampton six aside back in, I can't remember, 1981 or 82, something like that. We won it. Neither of us were dismissed in all the various rounds of the sixth side. <laughs> and I scored about five runs in total. <laughs> and this guy was capable of playing Dilskis before Dilshan even came along. I mean, this right. was, he was a class bat. I mean, he got chances, I think, to play. He certainly played Staffordshire, but he got chances to play at a higher level, but it never really worked out. Hey, that's been absolutely fabulous, John. And it, it's been really interesting to listen to your thoughts on club cricket. Uh, introduce the Club uh, Cricket Development Network to our listeners because there might be one or two already on it, but I'm sure there's quite a lot aren't on yeah. it and be more interested to see what's going on there. Um, you're doing some fabulous work with clubs all around the country. And when we say all around the country, we really do mean all around the country. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, well, I... it's um, Durham to, to Cornwall and, and uh, East Anglia to West Wales and got a few in Scotland and a few in Northern Ireland as well. I've got one in Copenhagen as well, actually. Wow. Okay. Um, but no, it is, it is nationwide. But we've got a few in, in North in Staffordshire and certainly a few in North Staffordshire. Most definitely. Thanks a lot, John, for your time. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay, thanks very much, guys. Cheers, Cheers John. John. Thank you. Cheers. Another good interview there. Thanks very much for that. Fantastic as usual, chaps. John Swanick there. Anyone that's interested in learning more about the Club Cricket Development Network, then please follow the links as you've just heard in that interview there. Well, that's just about all we've got time for on this episode. Join us next time where we'll be on site at the Golden Duck Brewery talking to Andy Lunn and Hartshorn's ex-first team captain Jordan Taylor with a few extra guests along the way. Uh, This time talking club cricket, beer, brewing of beer, umpiring, Beer, Hartshorn Cricket, Beer, Pubs and Beer. So from all of us at Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps, until next time. Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps. So that's all we've got time for for this edition of Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps. Thank you to our special guest today. If you know someone at your club that wishes to come and have a chat with us and talk about your club, then please email us on stumpsumpsandbeerpumps at gmail.com. Also please like and subscribe. And also, you can follow us on Twitter. If you've got any questions, any stories, or any funny anecdotes, then please again email us on stumpsumpsandbeerpumps at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed our tour around club cricket life. So please join us again for more of the same. Thank you very much for listening. This is Stump Sumps and Beer Pumps. So until next time, there's your one for the over. Stumps, Umps and Beer Pumps. Sports Social Podcast Network. Stump, 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 stump,